Galatians 5, 20 through 22 and 23. If you're using the, your hymn, your uh, pew Bibles, it's on page 1816. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Go over to John 8, 3 through 11. The teacher of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have basis to accuse him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Then they kept on questioning him. He straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away at that time. The other ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing beside him. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one uh, condemned you? No, no one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Last week, I started uh, talking about two of the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, you know, if you know, it you know, starts with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Uh, it's interesting that love is the first one because that really is the key uh, to all of these fruits. And uh, it's the one that we have to you know, base it on. And you know, when you think about it, 1 Corinthians 13 says, you know, anything else without love is really useless. And it says, you know, God is love in the Bible. So uh, love is the most important, but all these other ones, I think, spring out of that. And uh, it's important to to look at each one. Uh, Today, we're going to be looking at the idea of gentleness. And I think that's one that we probably misunderstand the most of all these fruits. And so we're going to look at that in just a moment. So let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and and we just pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and, and just help us to, to fix our eyes on you, Lord, to see you and just your character, uh, to see all these fruits that, are, uh, that you have in your life and that you want to be in our lives. And so just speak to us now, and we just pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. I want to start by asking you a question this morning, and the, the question is, how many of you have ever known a VAP? Now, notice I didn't say VIP, you know, very important person. I said a VAP. And uh, hopefully, to give you an idea of what that is, I, hopefully they have it up on the screen here. Uh, this might give you an example of what a VAP is. It's a very annoying person. And so, you know, pets can teach us a lot about some of those things. Uh, but you know, I'm guessing all of us have probably known 
people like that in our lives, people that annoy us or bug us or whatever. You know, it's the kind of person that, you know, maybe sets you on edge when you meet them or, or, or you know, and you get the idea that they even enjoy it sometimes, just bugging you. You know, maybe they're the one that comes into your home and say, you know, where did you find that wallpaper? And you know, they didn't mean it so they can go out and buy it themselves. Or maybe it's the person who comes up and greets you and says, oh, have you gained a little weight? Or maybe they say, you know, you really look tired today. But I believe that the way that we respond to people like that is a pretty good gauge of our fruit of gentleness. Gentleness is a fruit of the spirit that is basic to our relationships, especially those that irritate us easily or or cause us to lose patience as we looked at last week. It's always very tempting to, to fire out some harsh words back at those people you know, to put them in their place or, or just uh, you know, to, to make our point known. But God calls us as his followers to be gentle people, you know, to be people with that fruit of gentleness. Now, let me give you some free advice this morning. I'm not gonna charge for this one, but if you wanna grow in the area of gentleness, I don't recommend that you get your model from television. Uh, you know, if, you're, if you think that you're gonna learn patience from watching uh, you know, things like uh, talk shows or reality shows or things like that, uh, you're probably not going to have a very good idea of what gentleness is. You know, and those shows, you know, there's always people yelling or, or people swearing or threatening people. You know, that definitely is not what the fruit of gentleness is. You know, it's not the best place to learn about it. And so the question this morning is, what is gentleness? And how do we grow in this area of our Christian lives? Well, gentleness comes from the Greek word proudest, and it doesn't mean weakness or lack of internal strength. And that's kind of the idea that we have, that gentleness means you just kind of lay down and let everybody walk over you. But it's really just the opposite of weakness. Gentleness is what I would call power under control. Power under control. See, people who have this quality are able to, to pardon and to forgive other people, you know, to those who have injured them, and they know when to correct someone, and they also know when to remain quiet. You know, they understand the strength of being tender or of being gentle. You know, the Greeks actually used this word to describe a wild animal that had been tamed. And so that's why you know, it's considered power under control. You know, when I was a teenager, that's been a few years ago, I remember my friend Terry and I uh, went over to Diane and a friend of hers, they lived over by Ortonville, Minnesota. And uh, her friend, Diane's friend had horses. And so we thought it'd be fun you know, to, to go for a horse ride. And I'm not much of a, a horse person, so I've never done a lot of riding in my life. Well, we each got this uh, horse and you know, I, the horse I was riding was a real beautiful horse. It was big and, and powerful and uh, you know, it was just seemed like a really nice horse and it would listen to everything I wanted it to do, you know, go the direction I wanted to go. But my friend Terry had a, what I would call an interesting horse and it was not as well trained as mine. And after we had ridden for a couple of miles, we decided you know, it was time to head back to her home. And for some reason, as soon as that horse turned around and saw home or whatever it was, it decided it wanted to take off and get there quickly. And all I remember was seeing this cloud of dust and Terry bouncing up and down on this horse as it galloped all the way back to that home. 
Now, the good news is that Terry hung on for dear life and he did survive. You know, he didn't fall off or anything. Now, let me ask you, which of those horses would you rather, rather ride? How many would rather ride my horse? How many would rather ride Terry's horse? Okay, we have some rodeo people out back waiting for you. So, <laughs> you know, most people would probably want the more gentle horse, you know, the one that's under control. You see, both horses were strong and both could run fast, but my horse was under control. My horse was gentle. You see, water under control would be water that was rushing through a place like Hoover Dam that's turning these big turbines and and generating electricity to light up a whole city. But water out of control, as we know here in the Red River Valley, can be a flood that destroys everything that it comes in contact with. You know, a disease out of control, you know, like we're hearing about the coronavirus now all the time, you know, that can devastate a body and it can even kill its victim. But a disease under control can produce a vaccine that can save thousands of lives. And so when you think about gentleness, you know, think about power under control or anger that's under control or our emotions under control. I believe the best example that we can find of gentleness is the example of Jesus. And that's why it's so important that we study Jesus' life to really get to know him. In Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, Jesus said this. He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You see, insecure people, they think they have to prove their strength. They love to argue with people and try to impress you with all their great arguments. Jesus, he could have demonstrated his incredible power at any time, but instead he was gentle. That was his character. Jesus was always approachable. He was kind, he was humble. And that's the example that we're called to follow. You know, the only way that we can become gentle is to allow allow Jesus to be at work in our lives, to become more like Christ. And I talked about that last week, you know, just to abide in Christ, to be connected to Christ in our lives. And so I want to look just for a few minutes at how Jesus dealt with a few different people in his life. And it kind of gives us a glimpse of what gentleness is. Now, the first example is found in Matthew 21, verses 12 and 13. It says, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the merchants and their customers. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and stalls of those selling doves. Jesus said, the scriptures declare my temple will be called a place of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. Now, when you hear that scripture, you might think to yourselves, well, how does that relate to gentleness? That doesn't sound very gentle to me. Well, remember that gentleness doesn't mean that you're weak or that you're a wimp. It does mean that your response is controlled and is thought out. Your gentleness doesn't just fly off the handle at other people. Now, because of the seriousness of the situation here, Jesus knew that he had to do something strong. A strong action was required. You know, Jesus didn't react impulsively. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. Now, I don't know if you realize that this is actually the second time 
that Jesus cleared out the temple? You know, if you look in John 2 through 17, uh, that's the first time Jesus did that. And that was at the beginning of his ministry. And this last one I read was at the end, the last week of Jesus' ministry. It's kind of interesting that he did it at the, at the beginning and the end of his ministry. And Jesus had a good reason to do it both times. You see, the people were being ripped off in the temple. You know, they were overcharging for the animals that would be sacrificed and they were cheating the people. It'd be a lot like me leading a mandatory Bible study and then charging $500 for the workbook. You know, that would be a ripoff. And you see, God's gifts and God's blessings and grace should never be used to take advantage of other people. Now, second, people were being distracted from worship by all this stuff that was going on. This courtyard was the only place where the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people could worship. And yet they had turned it into a circus. You know, they were selling all these things and all these things going on. You know, it'd be kind of like having popcorn and candy vendors walking through the aisles while we were worshiping, you know, yelling out, you know, it's trying to sell popcorn to us. Now I like popcorn, but I don't think, you know, this would be the right time uh, to have those people walking through here. You know, worship is an important thing. And so it'd be a little distracting, wouldn't it? Well, Jesus realized that he couldn't just turn his back on this and let it go. And so he responds in a controlled, thought-out way. Jesus was gentle because he was balanced. He didn't overreact or he didn't underreact. Jesus knew when he had to be assertive, and he also knew when he had to be quiet. And so gentleness is balanced, is controlled, is disciplined. Now, the next example is found in John 8. And this is one that Robert read earlier about the woman that was caught in adultery. And when Jesus was asked his opinion about what to do with this woman, and remember that Pharisees, they wanted to stone this woman to death. You know, that sounds pretty serious. And so they asked Jesus what he thought they should do. And Jesus protects her and didn't even embarrass her. Jesus was sensitive to her need and he showed gentleness. You know, even though Jesus didn't agree with her behavior and he had the power to condemn her, Jesus treated her gently. After the Pharisees left, Jesus spoke confidentially to her about her sin and what she needed to do with it. You know, Jesus' concern was to restore her what God had planned for her life. You remember John three seventeen? it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now, Jesus cared about this woman. His objective was to gently lead her into God's kingdom of love, forgiveness, and abundant life. And I'm sure this woman was amazed at Jesus' response to her, and she was changed because of that. You know, it wasn't natural. It was probably something she had never experienced before in her life, but she saw true power under God's control. You know, there's another story in Luke 19 about a guy named Zacchaeus. Do you remember him? You know, if, if you're as old as I am, you probably remember the song about Zacchaeus, you know, being a wee little man. Anybody remember that one? I remember singing that in Sunday school. Well, this wee little man was a tax collector and he got his self-esteem from stealing money from other people. You know, he had been cheating people for years 
and everyone hated this guy. Well, one day he hears that Jesus is coming to his town. And so Zacchaeus, because he's kind of short, he decides to climb up this tree so he can see what's going on. And Jesus, for some reason, notices Zacchaeus up in this tree. And he looks up at Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, you lousy, no good tax collector, get out of here. Now, is that what he said? No. He said the famous words, Zacchaeus, come on down. I'm coming to your house today. And soon we see a change, Zacchaeus. And we hear Jesus say, today salvation has come to this house. Now that is gentleness in action. That's an amazing thing. So the question is, you know, how do you respond to people who fail? Or people who are caught in a sinful behavior? Or just someone who bugs you? you know, do you say to yourself, see, I knew they were a bad person. Or I thought they had problems. Or do you start gloating over their failures? You see, that's not how God feels about people. You know, that's not how God feels about our sin and our failures. You know, Jeremiah wrote, God's compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You know, God's desires, desires that we all that we be restored through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And sometimes God gives us the privilege of being part of that restoration. You know, when I, after I graduated from college, I knew I was going to be going to seminary down in Kentucky, but I wanted to save up a little money, you know, to help pay for seminary, so I decided I was going to work for a few months uh, before I moved down there. And I was looking all over Minneapolis trying to find a job, and you know, I, I thought I was going to be able to teach, you know, for a few months, but that didn't work out. And so finally, I ended up working in this microwave factory in Minneapolis, and uh, it was probably one of the most interesting jobs that I've ever had. Uh, not the work I did, but just the people I worked with. And uh, the, the job itself was pretty boring. We actually stood at an assembly line and we would uh, put things on these microwave ovens. You just kept doing the same thing over and over. And so it gave you a lot of time to talk with one another. And there was a little group of us that worked together all the time. And so I got to know those people pretty well. And there was one guy that I will never forget. Uh, he he uh, was kind of a rough character, you know, probably just the opposite life that I had lived in my life. You know, he grew up in a really tough home. Uh, he had grown up with alcohol and drugs. And his last job down in Texas before he came back to Minneapolis was working in a porn shop. And so you can imagine when I told him you know, I was getting ready to go to seminary, at first he didn't want to talk to me a whole lot. And, uh, but I, I kept you know, visiting with him and we started getting to know each other and eventually we actually became friends. And he, the closer we got, the more he started asking questions about my life and you know, why would you want to go to seminary? Why do you want to do these things? And eventually you know, I was able to share the gospel with this guy. Now, I can't tell you for sure that he ever received Christ. I don't know that for sure, but God gave me the opportunity to plant seeds in this guy's life. And I still keep praying for him, you know, that I'm going to see him in heaven someday. I, I really believe that. Because I believe God brought me there for a reason, you know, to minister to some of those people. And God gives us that opportunity to be gentle to those who are maybe different from us and have had a different lifestyle than we've had. You see, Peter must have felt ashamed and guilty when he denied being one of Jesus' disciples. You know, he failed his Lord, 
and his master. But after Jesus' resurrection, his first words to Peter were, feed my sheep. In other words, Jesus was saying, Peter, take care of my people. You see, Jesus didn't even bring up the denial. Instead, he empowered Peter to serve him and to put the past behind him. I think that's what Paul meant when he wrote in Galatians 1, or 6 verse 1. If someone is caught in sin, you who are spiritual should restore them gently. You see, we're called to encourage and to help one another, just like Jesus does for each one of us. I want to share a story with you. This is probably one of the best stories I've ever read that, deal, that talks about gentleness. And it's a story about a pastor. His name is Stu Weber. And maybe you've even seen this story before. But I want to just read this to you. It says, Growing up, Weber developed a temper, which blossomed in high, high school and college. And then I went to military, Weber said, which doesn't do a lot to curb your temper and develop relational skills. Early in his ministry, he stopped playing church league basketball altogether. His temper kept flaring, embarrassing himself and the church. A decade passed. I hadn't had a flash of temper for years, Weber said. I thought the Lord had been good. I'm actually growing. Then his oldest son made the high school varsity basketball squad. I began living my life again through my son. Weber terrorized the referees. On one occasion, seated in the second row, Weber wound up on the floor level with no recollection of how he got there. He received nasty letters from church members who he says now were absolutely right on. But then he got another note. Stu, I know your heart. I know that that's not you. I know that you want to live for Christ and his reputation. And I know that's not happening at these ball games. If it would be helpful for you, I'd come to the games with you and sit beside you. And it says it was from one of his men's Bible study group friends that wrote that note. And Weber said, Steve saved my life. It was an invitation, a gracious extension of the truth. He assumed the best and believed in me. And I think that is a, a great story about how gentleness really can work in our lives. You see, it's always easier to criticize or to condemn or to write nasty notes, but a gentle response is power under God's control because God wants people to be restored and to be encouraged. God wants, to, wants us to be gentle because people's lives are fragile and they can be broken very easily. You know, we can all have a powerful ministry if we allow that fruit of gentleness to be shown in our lives and to allow God to use us to restore and to bring other people back to God. You know, every person you encounter during this week, every single person is important to God. And I don't care if they're the most annoying person in the world or if they made some big mistake. You know, God loves them and God wants them back. And that's why gentleness is so important. And we need to learn from Jesus how we should respond to each person. And as we continue to be filled with the Spirit, which is a constant process that we do every day, I believe that we will be empowered to share this fruit of gentleness with those around us. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to never forget how gentle you've been to us 
Lord, we can all think of examples of ways that you've reached out to us when we've blown it or just been annoying. Lord, sometimes you confront us with tough love and sometimes you just give us a hug and say, feed my sheep. But Lord, you help us to move on and to continue to serve you. And Lord, we thank you for your example, uh, just the example of Jesus, and just that you give us the opportunities too to be gentle people, to have that power under control. And Lord, we know it does all come from love, and we thank you, Lord, that you give us that love in our hearts uh, so that we can be gentle to others. And Lord, as we prepare now to, to celebrate communion, help us to remember, Lord, uh, just how gentle you've been to us. Lord, how you came to this earth and gave your life for each one of us. Because Lord, we didn't deserve it. Uh, we all uh, made big mistakes. We've all sinned. We've all blown it. But thank you, Lord, that you reached out to us with your love, with your gentleness, with your grace. And so, Lord, help us to, to be able to share that with others. And we just pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.